0: Everybody's gonna need a Bible today because a lot of the verses are not gonna be on the screen, especially today. So if you don't have a Bible, uh, someone can help you out getting one. We have lots of Bibles back there. So Happy New Year again. You know, you wonder, what type of message should we give on New Year's? The first message of the year. What type of message, you think? Should it be one of, like, encouragement or one of reflection? Or maybe even rebuke? What type of message would you think of for a New Year's message? I know many of you celebrate New Year's in different ways. Uh, we had a wonderful New Year's thanks to all that came. That was actually the best New Year's maybe I've ever had. I mean, that was actually a wonderful time. I really thank you all. That was really awesome. But many people celebrate and think of New Year's in many different ways. Again, some people really spend their time looking back. Some people are like trying to forget what they went through and trying to look forward. Lots of different feelings, emotions, visions. Some people make resolutions. Some people don't believe in resolutions. Lots of different things. I will give you two things that I think you should do in the new year. You should read your Bible in one year. I have been using an app. It works for me great. Others, they want to do it other ways. However you best can uh, do that, I really highly suggest you read through your Bible in one year. And uh, if you have any questions on that, how I do that, or maybe Christian does it a different way, but he does it a different way, but he likes that way. It works for him. Uh, talk to us. You will be so blessed to stay in God's Word each and every day. So I read through the Bible chronologically through, and then I also read a proverb each day, which really helps me. Uh, it's funny. I was sharing with Christian. We were talking about it, I said, you know, maybe I'm going to do Psalms or something something different this year instead of uh, Proverbs. Some people do both. Um, and I, he said, you need to stay in Proverbs. So, he's laughing. No, he reminded me of that. That it's true because it's great wisdom how we're going to live as uh, Christians. So, again, you know, as we look at this new year, I think for many people, it is a symbol of hope as they look forward. But, again, some people, unfortunately, are discouraged as they look forward or don't look forward to 2022. So, for all over the world, many different things there so for me, I just want to share quickly because my my view of a new year has changed. I don't know about you guys, but in the past, a new year really didn't mean that much to me. Honestly, it was like a just a new day, another day, another year. My life year after year was very similar. Um, to start a new year, there was nothing wrong with the year before. There's really nothing exciting about the year to come. So, new year didn't mean really a whole lot to me. It was just kind of oh, okay. It's a new year. And, And uh, it didn't mean much to me. I was never disappointed or, you know, just either way. But I'll tell you, my view has changed very drastically. In the last few years, I now really look forward to the next year to come. I believe the world around us is changing very, very rapidly around us. And I think most of you would probably agree. I also say I do believe the end times are very much upon us. And so as I look at the previous year and I look to the next year, I see it in a biblical context and I see what's taking place. So it's very important to me. I want to look at a few verses before we get into the main message because it is a new year. And I want to talk about a few things as we each look towards this next year. You've got your Bibles. You're going to need them because it's not going to be on the screen, all these. Matthew 24. We're going to start in verse 4. We're going to read all the way through 14. Matthew 24 Verse 4, Jesus told them, do not let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name, claiming, I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all of this is only the first of birth pains, with more to come. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole earth, so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. Jesus clearly lays out in these passages what the world will look like and the things that will take place before his second coming. I see many of these verses, as we've just read Have already came true. Or impartial. And what's interesting is we see many of these things coming true. The world has actually endorsed these things that are coming true. I'm not sure how all of you view end times. But Jesus does give a clear outline what must take place before the rapture here. Look at verse 9. Lovely verse. It says... Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. And you'll be hated all over the world because you are my followers. These times are coming very soon, I believe, into the church. And as we see that, one thing we've also saw in society or in the world is many definitions of things have changed. I think we've seen it. So we, as followers of Jesus, as Christians will be defined another way because of our faith. That makes sense? They're going to put a label on us. Yes, it's Christians, but we're going to have a different label. Terrorist? There's lots of labels they're going to place on us. Then under this false label or this false pretense, we will be arrested, persecuted, and some of us even killed. You will be hated all over the world because You are followers of Jesus. These are Jesus' words, not mine. I mean, it sounds kind of downer, right? But I think we need to start there. We know which direction the world is heading. It's in God's word. We're seeing it play out before our very eyes. We know it because we study God's word, because we read our Bibles. But, we'll turn the page now. There's hope. There's hope in Jesus that most of the world doesn't know. Turn to Revelation. Revelation 22. We're going to look at a couple different verses. We'll start with Revelation 22, verse 7. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who obey my words of prophecy written in this book. We'll just kind of skip down to verse 12 and 13. Look, I am coming soon bringing my reward with me to repay all the people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. All that have called on Jesus as their Savior will spend eternity in heaven with him. Look at, just turn back a page to Revelation 21. Look at verses 1 through 4. John speaking here. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. And they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Each of us as followers of Jesus Christ, each of us that have been indwelled by the Holy Spirit, have had our eyes opened to these biblical truths. And as we see these biblical truths of what's taking place in the world around us, as the end times unfold, but within we see the hope that each of us have in Jesus Christ. What will be your focus in 2022? I've been mentioning, as I mentioned earlier, we need to be in God's word, each of us. I think it's a great start to be reading through your Bible in one year. That doesn't, and by the way, I think personal study is different. Um, you can choose a book maybe to study. I believe we must be a church of prayer and lifting each other up in prayer. I've been pitching this prayer app. Uh, you can use a journal. You can do it however you want. My point is to be in prayer and spending time with God each and every day. We need to be in fellowship, as you all are here today. We need to be in corporate worship and taking of the Lord's Supper or communion, which we'll be doing today. These are things as we look towards 2022. These are simple things, but obviously, as we know, in the last few years, the church hasn't been doing that. These are great. But knowing what we know, that Jesus' second coming is coming quickly, I want to add one more thing. We must go out and preach the hope of Jesus Christ unconditionally. Today, we're going to continue the story... As Jesus will show each of us by example what we must do if we are Christians in 2022. So let's begin today's passages. Got your Bibles. We're going to be in Luke chapter 4, verse 38. We'll start as you turn there. Remember, Christian shared last week and he shared a message how each of us need to be like the disciples and follow Jesus unconditionally. Now, we're going to see an example by Jesus. Luke chapter 4, verse 38 through 39. After leaving the synagogue that day, Jesus went to Simon's home, where he found Simon's mother-in-law very sick, with a high fever. Please heal her, everyone begged. Standing at her bedside, he rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and prepared a meal for them. Very interesting passage. Again, this passage is continuing from last week. As Jesus had been teaching and performing miracles in the synagogues as Christian taught on. Now I'm sure it's later in the day. And Jesus and the disciples have now returned to this house. Peter, Simon Peter's house. And now, I assume, looking to rest, to relax, to eat dinner, to eat supper. But... There's a lot that's going to take place. And I want to look at Mark's account real quick because it gives us a little more detail. So Mark chapter 1 verse, we'll start in verse 29. Mark chapter 1 verse 29, a little more detail. After Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, they went to Simon and Andrew's home. Then it continues telling about how his mother-in-law was sick. So what we learn from this account that Jesus came to Simon's house with James and John and I'm sure to enjoy some food and some fellowship as they had been busy teaching and preaching and Jesus had been performing miracles all day in the synagogue. Yet what happens on their arrival to the house? They come to the house and Simon's mother-in-law is very sick with a high fever. This this was the person that would have provided the hospitality for these men coming over. And yet she's sick. So Jesus, we read in the story, Jesus goes to her bedside, rebukes the sickness, rebukes the fever, and she's healed. There's probably a lot of sermons preached right here just on these few verses. What I see, just a, a quick kind of few points, what I see is that Jesus' healing here was complete for this woman. It was instantaneous. No further rest was needed for this woman. No other medicine was needed. She was able instantaneously to get up and serve others and use the gift of hospitality that she had been given. There's no other healing like this, is there, really? As we hear some of our friends that are sick, they'll probably have many days to recover. This was special. Jesus touched this woman, rebuked that fever, and she was instantaneously healed. Only Jesus can heal a person spiritually and physically instantly like this. But why? Why did Jesus do this? I believe he does this so this lady and others can be used by God. I was reading a commentary, and I'd like to share with you what it says. It's from the Life Application Commentary. It says, Jesus healed her in order to enable her to serve others. If you know Jesus, and he's truly come into your heart, he has healed you. He has not, however, healed you just to make you whole. He has also healed you so you might extend... His healing touch to others. Let's continue and see what the rest of this evening holds. Now that she is healed, and they're all at the house. Look at verses 40 and 41, Luke chapter 4. There it is, 40, 41. As the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought the sick family members to Jesus. No matter what their diseases were, the touch of His hand healed everyone. Many were possessed by demons, and the demons came out at His command, shouting. You are the son of God. But because they knew he was the Messiah, because they knew he was the Messiah, he rebuked them and refused to let them speak. There's a lot going on in this house. So, so many people during this time, in this evening, has experienced these miraculous healings. Even we read being restored from demonic possession. You know, again, this whole section here, you could preach a whole message from this. Just these two verses. But again, I just want to look at a few po- few points that each of us, as followers of Jesus, can apply to our own lives. First thing I noticed, it was late. It was after the Sabbath had ended. It was dark. So now that the Sabbath had ended, these people came and they brought their families, their sick family members, to Jesus to be healed. Because remember, it was the Sabbath before that. This is a beautiful picture, I imagine, As these groups of people are taking their family members who are sick. Carrying them or whatever it means they had to do to get them to Jesus. Coming there with hope that they haven't experienced. Excited that Jesus could heal them. Jesus is sitting there. I don't know what the house looked like exactly. Sitting there somewhere. And these people are coming in. Coming to Jesus. Hopeful. Faithful. Believing that Jesus could heal Their loved ones. It's a beautiful picture. I see Jesus reaching out and touching every single person, as the scripture says, that was brought into faith to him. And they were healed. It's amazing. This passage says Jesus healed and touched every one of them, no matter the illness. I think that's significant when you think about it, isn't it? Some of the illnesses, especially back then. There was no sickness, too difficult or too severe... That Jesus couldn't heal, but he touched each one. I think that's special. You know, I imagine these families, because I think some of you have some cultural context, that these families, some of these would have some fear of even taking their sick family members out. um, Bringing their sick family members out into public, into this big gathering. And the fear that people would even be exposed to their sickness, their family members' sickness. And especially in that culture, because maybe they would even be accused of their family being in sin because there was sickness in their family. would be out in the open, right? People would know that there was sickness in their home then. We can all relate to that, huh? The passages don't mention that, do they? They don't mention fear. They just say they had faith, and they went and got the sick, and they brought them to Jesus. And Jesus healed them. I think it's important. No matter what their diseases were... The touch of his hand healed every single one of them. Turn back in your Bible. Let's go to Isaiah. Isaiah 54, 4. Fear not. You will no longer live in shame. Do not be afraid. There is no more disgrace for you. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth and the sorrows of your widowhood. For your creator will be your husband, and the Lord of heaven's armies is his name. He is your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of all the earth. It's Jesus that heals in such a way as the sickness never existed. That's what he did for this woman. That's what he does for our sins. He redeems us. He redeems the sick. Turn back to Luke chapter 4. These passages, they say they brought the family. The families brought their sick, right? But again... What it doesn't mention when he first talks about that, that they brought demon-possessed. It doesn't say that. It just says the families brought their sick to Jesus in faith to be healed. It doesn't say they brought their demon-possessed family members or cousins, right? It just says they brought sick. What's interesting, in verse 41, that Jesus commanded demons to leave some of these people. He cast out demons. So it seems that some of these people that were brought in were sick, but also... Many of them, apparently, were demon-possessed. Jesus brought healing and restoration to all these people, while Satan had brought sickness and death. During all of this that's taking place, these demons, they knew exactly who Jesus was. Yet, then Jesus cast them out, we read. But then, as they're trying to speak up, Jesus silences them, because Jesus would reveal... On his time, who he was to the people. So this was a very exciting evening. Uh, we see here Jesus is remained faithful to minister to all the people. Late into the night, uh, these sick people coming in and out of the house. Again, Jesus shows each of us what it is to be a faithful servant. I mean, you imagine. I, he was busy all day up early. And then into the night, I, I can't even imagine how many people came in and out of there. So there's a little lesson for me. You know, we have church at night, 4 o'clock, so ministry doesn't stop when church is over. I think we need to remember that. Or even when it's late, or when it's inconvenient, or we're tired, or we had a long day. Ministry doesn't stop. And Jesus shows us that. He was going to this house, I'm sure, to have rest and food. Instead, he healed the sick. So let's see the next passages. Back in Luke chapter 42-44 42-44 through 44. Early the next morning Jesus went out to an isolated place The crowds searched everywhere for him And when they finally found him They begged him not to leave them But he replied I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God In other towns too Because that is why I was sent So he continued to travel around Preaching in the synagogues throughout Judea So after a very long day the day before, we just read about this A very long day. We read now the next day, Jesus is up very early before the sunrise. If you look at the different accounts, the next morning, and he's spending time with God. This is what sustained Jesus to spend time with God in prayer, taking time to have a relationship with his father. So often... I mean, I, I, I can definitely speak for myself. So often, so we get exhausted. You know, December was exhausting. We get exhausted. Uh, and we look for ways to renew ourselves. I don't know about you guys. I get very tired at times. I'm like, I need a break. Uh, I've even said this the last few weeks. You know, Jesus faced exhaustion, I think, much more than we could even imagine. But then he shows us how to remain equipped to fulfill the calling that was upon his life. It, was, it wasn't It was fancy retreats that Jesus went to, was it? It wasn't a weekend out. It wasn't some special training. It wasn't beach vacation. Sorry, guys. It was time alone in the study of God's word and prayer that sustained Jesus. Through the Holy Spirit, God will provide the strength that each of us need. I'm not saying vacations are bad. Not at all. I wouldn't mind going to the beach myself. But I'm saying... Our renewal comes from God and the study of his word and the time spent with him in prayer. Now, as I read these verses, I also saw that as Jesus sought this time with God, as he got up early in the morning before the sun was up and he went to be alone with God, what happened? I don't know. What happens to each of you? The world then sought to take his time away that he was spending in prayer with God. I don't know how that works for you guys, but it happens to me all the time. I do. I try very often to get up early, to read the Word of God, to spend time in prayer. And it's amazing how so often when I do that, all these different things keep happening. Somehow, I don't even know. And what's interesting, this distraction, as these people were searching out Jesus, what these people were seeking from him, it wasn't bad things by any means. But it was time that he needed to spend with the Father. So Jesus was found here by these people, and then he explained to them that he must preach to everyone the good news. This is why Jesus was sent, to share the hope that many have never heard. Jesus, again, he shows each of us what it is to be a follower of Jesus, that each one of us Each one of us are sent also in many different ways into the world to share the hope of Jesus, to share the good news. Now, some of you have different places you're sent. Some of you sent right in your own home, right to your family and your children. Maybe to your extended family. Maybe some of you are sent to remote villages and crazy countries around the world. Everyone's calling maybe is a little different, and it changes. But all of us are sent somewhere to someone to share the good news of Jesus. We need to have the same heart that Jesus had, because as the Holy Spirit resides in each of us, we should have that same heart that Jesus had when he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. In 2022, this will be my verse as I studied it, a burden for me to preach the good news and then really a necessity, a requirement, according to the scripture, isn't it? He didn't ask us a requirement, a command from God. A duty, you could say. Truly a privilege to be able to share the hope that I received through faith in Jesus. Because I was chosen. You guys were chosen. So let each of us have that desire that we must go share the gospel with the lost. Just as each of us need to drink water. As we need to eat. As we need to breathe. As we need to sleep. Let it be that we must share the gospel. Share the, the love of Jesus with the lost. I want this heart that Jesus had. I could keep preaching on this again, but we're going to continue. Luke chapter 5. We're going to look at 1 through 3. One day Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Great crowds pressed into him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge. For the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out in the water. So he sat on the boat and taught the crowds from there. So some time has passed now. A little bit of time. I don't know exactly how much. But Jesus had been sharing the good news all around the area. And while this was taking place, yes, the disciples were still fishing on occasion. I think we sometimes get misconfused about it. They were still fishing. And I think they were doing whatever they had to do, you know, to go into their trade or their profession to provide for their families. So they'd go out, they'd share the gospel, then they'd go out fishing. I don't know, maybe they did one, you know, went out fishing at night, shared the gospel during the day. I don't know how it worked exactly. But There's a big amount of time there. So one day, as Jesus is walking on the shore, as he's sharing the good news... He was near the disciples boats and many people, it says, were interested in the message that Jesus was proclaiming and they pressed into Jesus to hear better. I think of this pressing like, you know, if Jesus was speaking and I was really interested, I'm going to try to get closer so I can hear everything he had to say. And that's what I imagine taking place here. And Jesus saw this opportunity to use the boat as a platform to preach. This picture is amazing. I mean, can you imagine this in your mind? I hope maybe one of us even could be able to do that someday. To imagine to sit in a boat on the shore and be able to deliver a message of hope of Jesus to all the people on the shore, wouldn't that would be amazing? Even better would be in Israel, but anywhere would probably be pretty neat to be able to do. You know, so all this is taking place. Jesus is teaching from the boat. Many people are listening. They're hearing the gospel. But as this t- is taking place, the disciples they're there, but they're over there right close by, and they're cleaning up everything from their night of fishing. So they got their nets. Um, You know, there's a lot of work that they had to do before and after fishing. It wasn't just jump in your boat and go out there and fish. There's a lot of work after. So they take all their nets, they had to clean them all, they had to stretch them all out. They had to wash the water off, the salt water or the different water off it, whatever it was. So if they didn't take care of these nets, the next time maybe they got a catch, if there was any holes in the net, they might lose their catch. So every time after they get back from fishing, they'd come and they'd make sure there's no tears or rips and mend it, make sure all the weights were on there, do whatever they need to do. So remember this, that there was a lot of work even after fishing and before, we know. As we continue in the passages, because again, hours and hours of work before and after you'd go out fishing. And again, without this work, what would happen? You'd lose your catch. Very likely. You could rip your nets. So again, you needed proper boat maintenance. Or you could sink in the lake. You needed all these things that took a lot of time and resources before this big catch. So let's look at verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. A question. Do you think Simon will surrender to this request? Think about that. It's a huge question to myself, to all of us. I think especially as we start a new year. Will you go out deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish? That's what Jesus has asked. Is that a, was it a question? Look at the passage. Was it a question? It wasn't a question. Jesus told him, this is what you're going to do. Jesus commands Simon, now let's go out where it's deeper. Can you just place yourself in Simon Peter's sandals? can't push him in our shoes. He's tired. He's been out all night, surely. He's washed all the nets. He's hungry. He, I'm sure he's ready for bed. They've already cleaned up everything, right? We know this. He's already cleaned up his nets. He's got them all ready to go. On a, everything's done after he's been fishing all night long. That's a lot of work. Another thing to consider, Jesus' request was very strange. Look at the passage. Why was it odd? Fishermen don't fish in deep waters. I know maybe maybe, there's some fish, maybe halibut, but in these waters, you didn't fish in deep waters. The fish would typically school around the edges. Like you go in a boat, it's not in these big, deep areas, the deep, deep waters. They actually, you go out at night and they come up to feed, and that's where you catch the fish. So... When you think, he's like, why would I go to deep waters? That doesn't make any sense. What else was odd? The time. It was during the day. People don't fish during the day in this culture. That's not when the fish are out. This is when they are down and you can't get to them. So you can't catch any fish. So what will Simon say to Jesus as he commands? Go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Because it made no sense to him as a professional fisherman made no sense. It would have seemed absolutely pointless. Let's look at verses 5 through 7. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in another boat and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. As I see this conversation taking place between Simon and Jesus, I see Simon address Peter very politely and respectfully, because Jesus has commanded him. He hasn't asked him. Let's go back out. He says, Master, can you imagine Peter tired, cleaned up everything for the night, ready to head home? I imagine this is what I imagine. I don't know exactly how I took I imagine him sitting there with his hands at his side. I imagine Peter talked a lot with his hands, just because I can imagine Peter. He was probably all over the board. I bet this morning, though, I bet you he is very tired, hands down. They're too tired. He's been up all night pulling and casting the net all night long. He's tired, hoping that Jesus is not serious, explaining to Jesus now why we shouldn't go. We've already been out all night. We didn't catch anything. But then I imagine Jesus looking at Simon with a look. It doesn't even say nothing there. This That Simon, he knew Jesus was serious. So he's like, let's go. So Simon surrendered to Jesus' request. And he obeys Jesus. And I don't think he was real happy about that at the time that he started loading his nets back in the boat. grabbing You know, he didn't just have to load net, He had to grab his guys, too. He couldn't take that big boat out by himself. So he had to get everything back in the boat. Go back out. I think he was disappointed. I'm sure he was tired. I'm sure he was even feeling a little hopeless after he'd been defeated all night, not catching nothing. I think that his mindset of going out into fishing with Jesus was probably not in a great spot. But he was obedient, wasn't he? Even though he was going out to the wrong place at the wrong time. Then what happened? We read the catch was more than his boat could even handle. It was almost more than two boats could handle. So they had to shout out again. They shouted out for the other fishermen to come out. Again, this boat had been out all night. I guess maybe they were still there hanging out. But they came out and they had two boats full of fish. Another detail that I saw is it says these boats were so full that they almost sank. But it didn't. I think that's important. Because I think as you see Simon being obedient, you see that the blessings were so much that it almost sank their boats. Let's look at verses 8 through, we're going to read through half of 10. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. We'll stop there. So Simon, weak, tired, hopeless, obeyed Jesus. Even when it seemed absolutely pointless. It didn't make any sense at all to him. Because he was a professional, wasn't he? But now, through this, through this miracle that Jesus has performed, he has came to a deeper understanding of who he really was. And truly, the bigger understanding is he came to an understanding of who Jesus was, the Son of God. You got your Turn to Job 42.5. I think Many of you are familiar with this verse. Five and six. Job 42, five and six. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. I think this is how Simon Peter felt. This revelation brought to Simon to humility, true humility. Then, true worship. I think each of us, as we come to understand and know Jesus more and more as our walk as Christians, it should always bring humility, which then turns to worship. That's been my experience. The more and more I understand who I am in Christ and who I'm not, the more I know Jesus always brings me to humility and then to worship him. And this is what was taking place with Peter. He's starting to get an understanding of who Jesus was because he had done his very, very best and failed. Then Jesus took him and did things that he couldn't even imagine. I want to share a note from my... I got a new NET study Bible. Very excited for this next year. And I want to share a note from it concerning these verses. Peter was intimidated that someone who was obviously working with divine backing was in his presence. Go away from me. He feared his sinfulness might lead to judgment. But Jesus would show him otherwise. All these, these these disciples, these fishermen during this time, what happened? What was the word that Luke used? awestruck and amazed by who and what Jesus had done. I think each of us need to know like Jesus like this. as we look at our relationship with Jesus and who he is, are we awestruck and amazed? So much so. That we must go out and share who Jesus is and what he did for us. Let's finish up Luke chapter 5. Uh start back in verse 10. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. You know, fear is a sin. Fear is a sin. It's a sin that Satan uses to lead us away from truly following Jesus and the calling he's placed on each of our lives. Simon has seen Jesus now in this new light or this new revelation, understanding him a bit more. But what was the first words from Jesus after Simon had saw this? Don't be afraid. Just as Jesus told him to go out, then he ends with don't be afraid. He commands this just as he commanded to go out. You cannot be full of fear and trust and still follow Jesus. These two, they, they don't go together. It doesn't work. So I was studying my new Bible, my new NET Bible. It was one of the notes mentioned that several of us, primarily Westerners, correlate fishing very often with a fishing pole. I mean, When we think, let's go fishing, and we think of grabbing a fishing pole. Now, I know we all know here that in Jesus' time we used nets. They use nets. And they even use nets around here. But our mental, like we think of fishing, we think of fishing poles. Many often, unless there's any professional fishermen in here. But when Jesus uses this analogy for fishing, it should invoke a picture in our mind. That's why he uses this. And again, I thought before in the past, as fishing is grabbing my fishing pole, grabbing a worm, putting it on the hook, and casting it out there. Then putting my fishing rod in a pole holder, sitting down to have my favorite beverage and some snacks, and waiting to see if I was going to get a bite or not. If I was lucky, maybe a very unlucky fish would come on by, swim on by there and happen to see that worm, and I'd get a bite, and maybe I'd get lucky and get a fish and reel it in. Then I'd rebate the hook and do it all again. It's kind of the mindset some of us have of fishing. Again, we know that that's not what they did in Jesus' time. But maybe also, for most of us, if we think about fishing, what's a good day fishing? Yeah, maybe, what, five or six fish? Maybe, in most of us, places we're from, there's limits. Like So maybe you say, I had a good day fishing, I caught my limit. Maybe, what's that, five or six, maybe someplace two, I don't know, it depends on the fish. Walking away proud. Had a great day fishing. Sat around all day. Enjoyed my favorite beverages and snacks. You caught like five or six fish. That's a good day fishing. Then you got this bunch of fish in your cooler or on your stringer. Then maybe you'll cook them all up and eat them at night. Or maybe you'll freeze some of them for later. Or maybe I like to smoke them. I do them in a, a brine mix and then smoke them later. My five or six fish is really good. This is not what Jesus is speaking of here. I think our reference is a little off. He says, I'll make you fishers of men. And our fishing analogy that I just gave is great. That's what we do. But that is not what Jesus was talking about. Now, maybe some of you have been doing ministry that way, though. Sitting around, waiting, hoping that someone would just randomly come by and bite on what you threw out there. Maybe some of you have been lucky, even catching a few, getting your limit. Then praising yourselves and saying, I got my limit. I'm going home. I'm good. Jesus, in this passage was not calling hobbyist fishermen, hobbyist anglers. Those that say, I did my job, I invited a person to church last week. It's not what Jesus is talking about, being fishers of men. Jesus is calling on professional fishermen. Think about these men, these disciples that Jesus is speaking to. Think of these men, who they were that he was calling. These men were hardcore, they were rough and tough, lifetime professional fishermen. They fished so they could survive. They fished so they could feed their families. They fished because it was a family passed on from the family. This was their life. This is what they lived for. You ask them, Peter, who are you? I'm a fisherman. I guarantee that's what he would have said. You ask any of them, men. That's how they would have described themselves, wouldn't it? That's how many of us describes ourselves by our profession. Hopefully later we'll describe ourselves as followers of Jesus. Think about what it took for these men to fish. They didn't just jump in their trucks and grab their fishing poles and throw a worm out there, did they? We talked about it earlier. It actually took years probably of training to know how to operate the boat, how to operate the nets, where to go, how to do it, the techniques involved. The boat itself would have cost a lot of money, wouldn't it? I mean, in their time or our time, think about the nets. They weren't cheap. Maybe you could make them. It would have taken hours and hours to put all this together uh, for the nets even and just the gear just to go out. Hours. Now, you couldn't do this alone. There's no way you could man the boat and man the nets and pull the fish and you couldn't do this alone. You need at least, I looked it up, you need at least three others. They say four to six people per boat. Then, you as the captain of the boat, you'd be responsible for them. You'd have to provide both for their safety and They're going to be really upset if you don't catch fish because they're counting on you to take them to wherever the fish are. The hours, the hours of a fisherman. They're horrible. I think a lot of us have worked shift work around here. These hours were horrible. Often they say they went out at night, sleep during the day. Dangerous. Imagine how dangerous this would be. You're out at night. There's no flashlights. There's no lights. You're out in the sea, all seasons, all weather conditions. I'm sure at times being caught in many storms. We've read about that. Can you imagine how physical this fishing would be? I imagine these guys were strong after that line of work. The rowing, the casting of the nets, then the pulling up of the nets by hand. I mean, that would be an amazing workout. Because these nets, even if they didn't have fish in them, were quite heavy because you had weights on the bottom. Pulling them up by hand, but not in some beach tropic environment. This was a nasty environment. The water was rough. The worst weather conditions. These men did this day after day, an extremely hard job, often with very little reward. It wasn't very often they caught a bunch of fish. They didn't make a whole bunch of money doing this. They did this to survive, to provide for their families. One day, one thing's for sure. They did not go out each and every day with a hope of catching a few fish. That's not why they got and went out, hoping to catch a couple fish. Their goal or their intention was to fill the entire boat with fish. That's what they hoped for. Very often it didn't happen. They would hope, like the story here, they'd catch so many fish that they'd need to call in their buddies to help get the other fish in. That that was probably like the dream they all talked about their entire fishing career, right? I pulled up so many fish I couldn't even take the net over the board because I had to call my friends. You imagine they probably actually joked about this even, saying... But you know what? Jesus did this for them in this story, didn't he? Jesus allowed them to catch so many fish, they couldn't even get it into the boat. They had to get another boat to get all the fish in. And both boats, it says, almost sank because of all the fish. Jesus did this for them. And Jesus then says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom and God in other towns too, because that's why I'm sent. And don't be afraid, for now on you'll be fishing for people. I just went through this long analogy of fishing. Because now they were called to fish for people. All this example I've given, we have a wrong conception of what ministry is. Wrong idea what it is for fishing for people. Jesus gave us a perfect analogy as a professional fisherman. The work it took, the dedication it took, the hour after hour, the day after day, the hours, the storms, the cost involved, the dangers involved. If you're going to be fishers of men this is what we will endure and we're not going to be like our fishermen oh i got five or six i got my limit i'm going home these fishermen were looking to fill the boats and other boats around that's the type of fishism of men we need to be we need to follow this example and sharing the good news as these fishermen did being invested committed working day after day diligent to work hard they didn't fish alone either i think that's important very important fact as you're a fisher of men, you had boats, necks, and you had others with you. It's important. Then, you need to trust Jesus. Trust that He will protect you, and He is the one that provided the catch. It wasn't them. So what about this? To fish without limits. Let's watch God fill the churches. let open, let's see, new churches opened here in Chiang Mai. So this year as we begin, I want to see professional fishermen, not hobbyists, to see what God will do with people that are faithful to go out and work in ministry, just as these people work as professional fishermen, to go out and preach the good news of Jesus, to have it that you have a burden in your heart that I must preach. I want to read a quote from Warren Worsby. Consider the fact that fishermen generally have the qualities that make for success in serving the Lord. It takes courage and daring, patience, and determination to work on the seas. It also takes a great deal of faith. Fishermen must be willing to work together. They use nets, not hooks, to help one another. They must develop the skills necessary to get the job quickly and efficiently. If I had fished all night and caught nothing... I probably would be selling my nets, not washing them to get ready to go out again. But true fishermen don't quit. Peter kept on working while Jesus used his ship as a platform from which to address the huge crowd on shore. Every pulpit is a fishing boat. This is a quote from Vernon McGee. A place to give out the word of God and attempt to catch fish. So as we look at 2,000... 22, I pray that this church and every church, it'd be a must in your hearts that you would preach the gospel. And we would fish like professional fishermen, like these fishermen fished. Today we are going to take communion, and we're going to do a little bit different today. I, uh, I've i shared with some about this. We're going to do, in small groups, we're going to take communion. I pray that each one of you would share in your smaller groups, if your family or uh, whoever you're with, What communion means to you. What it means that his body was broken for you. What it means that his blood was shed for you. What it means of his promises. To look back to on the past. To look at the promises of the future. And just to start this new year in communion with the Father. And really just looking what this year can have for us. And I think if we want to see true revival here in Chiang Mai. It truly begins with a heart and a desire to preach the gospel. That's what Jesus said. I must preach the gospel. It wasn't like. There's no option. That's why he was sent. As it said. That's why each one of you are here today. I pray that right now you would just uh, take some time to examine yourself. And your walk with Jesus this last year. Take some time to examine um, your current relationship with Jesus. And then I'm going to come back up and we'll break into smaller groups and then we'll close with worship.